local talk weekday mornings. The Morning Drive News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to The Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here on this hump day Wednesday. And joining us online now is Elisa Barnard, and she is the National Campaign Manager for World Without Exploitation. Good morning, Elisa. Hi. Hi. Thanks for being on The Morning Drive today. And first of all, before we get into some issues here, can you um, explain, tell us and and our listening audience, what is the organization World Without Exploitation? Yeah, sure. So World Without Exploitation is a national-based coalition. We have about 200 member organizations all focused on efforts that reduce human trafficking, prostitution, and commercial sexual exploitation across the country. And uh, I think January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month, right? That is correct. It is our month. So is there, is there legis- do, you, do you advocate in regard to legislation in states around the country? Yeah. So my job as national campaign manager is very focused on state-level legislation in a number of key states where we've seen efforts either in positive or negative directions, um, many of which are in the New England area, Vermont obviously being one of them. Um, And I think that people are kind of being sold an idea of there's only two approaches to this when in reality there's not. There's another approach. So. What are the two approaches that people are being sold that there are only these two approaches? Can you give us a quick encapsulation of what that what those are? Yeah, definitely. So I think the solutions that people are being presented are honestly really misleading. Like the only two options that we have are to keep the status quo, which we know doesn't work, or to go to this other extreme, which is to fully decriminalize the sex trade, which limits law enforcement's ability to go after pimps and traffickers who are now emboldened to hide behind that kind of a legitimate business license. And we need a more nuanced approach, and that's why approaches like the one World Without Exploitation supports the equality model is actually just became enacted in Maine. And and how does that work? So the equality model is essentially a, a set of laws which create a situation in which the prostituted person so those being sold for sex are decriminalized and provided um, expungement or record sealing. So that way their criminal records are no longer getting in the way of them seeking services, getting apartments, getting jobs, that kind of thing. But it also creates a roadmap for increasing services available to them so that they actually have those options and choices to leave if that's what they want to do. But it doesn't prevent them from staying if that's also what they want to do. What this law also does is maintain penalties for sex buyers, pimps, and traffickers. So it's really this middle ground approach somewhere in between what we have now and this other end of the spectrum, which is a really extreme approach. And if the extreme approach that's been um, pushed by some or many in Vermont in the legislature, what would that lead to if the bill passed that was that what you view to be extreme? What would, that, what would the results of that be in your opinion? So that's a really good question. Um, decriminalization is, uh, we would not be the first place to do this. So New Zealand is the most kind of, I'll call it notorious example of what happens when you completely decriminalize prostitution. And just as one kind of fact based, they have not identified a single adult human trafficking victim in recent years. Now, that doesn't mean the trafficking's not happening. 
what that's saying is that we've lost our tools to be able to identify and provide services to victims. Um, in other countries where we've seen decriminalization happen, we see increases in violence. We see, um, you know, pimps and traffickers essentially being able to hide behind a legitimate business license and say, oh, well, we can't, you can't come into our business because we're just running a business. So it kind of creates this situation in which people are kind of condemned into the sex trade in a lot of ways. And, uh, Lisa, also you mentioned Maine has, is there any results yet or is it too early to know from Maine passing the bill you're talking about, which is partial decriminalization? Yeah, so it is a little bit too early to tell. Um, however, there are other countries that have passed similar legislation in the past. So Sweden was the first. Uh, for example, in, I think, 1999. Um, and since then, we've seen Canada, France, Israel, um, Ireland, Northern Ireland, all have enacted similar bills. Um, and in France, what we've actually seen is a really big uptick in people who receive services. So where they were formerly prosecuting people before this law, now what they're doing is they're offering people who are in prostitution services so that they can exit if they want. They've actually served about 1,247-ish people since this bill was enacted, and 95% of them have like effectively stayed out of the life since then. They've actually really benefited from these services. What they also saw was in the first couple of years that the law was enacted, they saw a 30% increase in prosecutions of traffickers. So we can see that this, these types of pieces of legislation really do have positive impacts. So ostensibly, I, I think I, I, I grasp this now because when it's all illegal, then the people that are being trafficked and forced into this trade obviously don't come forward because they'll get charged. So yeah. it's, it's almost kind of like the whistleblower law where um, if, if there's an injustice happening, these people that are, that are the, the victims have the vehicle or the, or the path where they can come forward if they want to and say, hey, this is this is a bad thing happening, and and so it, and then go after the traffickers and the pimps, uh, and but if they, but if they're content, they can stay. But as you just said, ninety five percent of the people that come forward typically leave uh, the, uh, the 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 previous employment. Yeah, I mean that's such a good way to put it. Actually, whistleblowing is is not a, a way I've heard it normally put, but that's a really. I always tend to think of it kind of like an immunity law, but essentially. What this is doing is exactly that. It's emboldening people who have been victimized, who have been harmed, who are experiencing harm to come forward. They're saying, we're not going to do anything to you, but we need to recognize that somebody else is doing something to you. Yeah. And what we see is that like most of the violence in the sex trade is, is frankly, it's not perpetrated by traffickers and pimps. They're absolutely awful. Don't get me wrong. They perpetrate a lot of the violence. But sex buyers are actually the predominant perpetrators of violence. Really? And See, yeah, I have, this, and I have so, this vision of these traffickers just buying and selling human beings as, as, as this, 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 it's, I mean, it's a slave trade. Let's just call it what it is. And, yeah. and you got to blow it open. Uh, but I, that's, there's a statistic I didn't expect. <laughs> I, I, well, I, I think it's a, if you bring up an interesting point because it, it's kind of part of the hard part about getting people to understand this issue and getting them to take it seriously is there's a bit of a clickbaitability to this issue. You know, we see these big names like Epstein and all these other names and we say, oh, it's not our kids, it's not happening here. 
but it is happening here. It's a real concern. It's happening right now. It's really hard to prosecute these types of cases. And so when people are really terrified to come forward or think, oh, you know, I would have had to have been sold by somebody like Epstein or another big name to for this to be real. And it, it creates this kind of dissonance in people's minds, I think. Well, and I also think that, that in the current environment on the street, we're, we're, we're seeing a serious issue with, with addiction, drug addiction. And when you couple it, you, I mean, these, are, these, are, these, these roads, these paths cross quite frequently. Yeah. I would actually, I've got a really great friend who's a, um, a service provider up in Maine. Uh, she's also a survivor. And we had a great conversation a while back about the services available. And that's one of the barriers that they're seeing as potential challenges for putting forward the Maine law is because they, ha- they have a dearth in services. They don't have enough of them. And most services are provided through substance use, which is great. We're really happy that we can provide those services, but we need to embolden and bolster up those services, which is why the main law also included an element that created a pathway for increasing those services. Okay. All right. Well, I'm starting to, I'm starting to grasp it now. That's great. I okay. love this conversation. So we're going to continue the conversation. We need to take a quick break. If anybody wants to join uh, the McKenzie Country Club. Informed with your community. The Morning Drive on FM 96.3 and AM 620. WVMT. Welcome back to The Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here. We are continuing our discussion now with Alisa Bernard and... Um, she is the National Campaign Manager for World Without Exploitation, and we're talking about the issue of human trafficking. January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month, and we're talking about the issue of prostitution. And um, where do we stand in Vermont? Where is the Where does the debate seem to be going right now in the legislature? Well, that's a really great question. We actually first got interested in Vermont because we were really concerned about what we were seeing in a couple of municipalities. Um, a few years ago, um, a number of municipalities, I think two or three, two, um, did this whole thing where they were changing what they called, quote-unquote, archaic language in their municipal code or their city charter. Now, I don't disagree. This was definitely archaic code. This was misogynistic. It was not great. Um, but unfortunately, what that also did was remove all of the ordinances and language around prostitution, body houses, that kind of thing. And so what we were really concerned about was these little cities were becoming essentially, you know, safe zones for trafficking to experience, trafficking to happen because we were taking away all the ability, all the language that allowed for cops to go after those traffickers. And, um, how big how big of an issue is this in in Vermont? Uh, we, I mean, we've seen the cases in the in the media about uh, places being busted for human trafficking. Um, how big of an issue do you think it is in Vermont? Well, I, that's a really great question. Um, there's ways to take a look at that, such as taking a look at arrest records, looking at prosecution data. Um, but also looking at service provision. And I believe the last time I was up in Vermont um, earlier last year, what we had seen was that these numbers were actually pretty high. Um, and please excuse me, I don't have that data right in front of me. Um, but I do remember that the human trafficking identifications were pretty high, but prosecutions were pretty low. 
Um, and again, that's not because, you know, prosecutors aren't doing their job. And on the contrary, I actually think Vermont prosecutors are some of the best in the country. But realistically, what's happening is they're having, we have this kind of constant debate that's getting in the way of actually going after the problem. And, and are the, has there been legislation introduced? Is there a legislator or, or legislators that have introduced legislation uh, similar to what you're calling for, partial decriminalization? So I have yet to see anything that is comes close to partial decriminalization when it comes to legislation in Vermont. Um, what I have seen is a push for, like I said, um, bills that are similar to those kind of municipality regions where they are saying, oh, we're going to repeal everything, but we're going to keep our human trafficking laws. Now, the problem with this is it's like saying you're going to keep the most extreme version of a crime, but everything leading up to that is not, it's, it's not prosecutable. So we're just not going to, we're going to repeal all those laws. And so, again, like that makes it harder for cops to go after traffickers. Um, you know, it'd be like saying, hey, we're only going to keep murder, but all these other little things up here and in between, we're not worried about. So I think that there needs to be kind of a better understanding of the laws that are coming into place or the bills that are coming into place, excuse me. And, and of course, as you said, doing nothing is not a good option. If the legislature fails to do anything, doesn't take one of the, we don't want them to take the extreme position, obviously, but if they, if they just because they can't get the extreme bill passed and they choose to do nothing, where will that leave us? Well, I mean, it kind of leaves us in the same position we've been in, in the sense that we continually criminalize people for things being done to them rather than criminalizing the people who are perpetrating crimes against them. And again, that's sex buyers, pimps, traffickers, brothel keepers. Um, you know, realistically, if we don't change this, the most marginalized in our communities are the ones that are always going to be impacted. You know, we see that just about anywhere the sex trade exists, the most marginalized so pretty much the least in a community is the most that shows up within um, prostitution and trafficking. And so I really don't think we're in a good spot if we maintain this. But if we kind of turn this around, Massachusetts has a bill going through right now, the Sex Trade Survivors Act, which is really promising, that also is essentially partial decriminalization, but it adds a ton of services and a statewide task force. And I mean, really fabulous work being done on the ground by survivors in Massachusetts. And so the current bill that was in the Senate last year in Vermont, S one twenty five, that is mm-hmm. that is not something that you'd like to see come come to fruition because it, if I remember correctly, I, I tried to look it up while we were talking. It, it just decriminalizes it, but it doesn't really have a path for any kind of help for the victims. Yeah, that's the problem I've seen with a number of decriminalization bills that I have seen popping up across the country is they don't have anything that includes a services. Or if it does include a service, it's only harm reduction. Now, I believe harm reduction is essential. I used to actually work at a drop-in center where all we did was harm reduction. And I really believe in harm reduction, especially for substance use, for prostitution, for any of these types of um, types of issues that people are, are experiencing within their lives. But realistically, if we only provide harm reduction, what are we saying? We're saying, oh, it's not bad enough for you to leave. Or if you get hurt, it's your fault. Yeah. Or, yeah, I mean, it, it's like we're not giving them an option. And, and they so can't I think break the cycle. Important. I didn't mean to interrupt it's, you. I'm sorry. But it's no, impossible to break the cycle. <laughs> if if you really have to think of it more as, as a slave trade or more as uh, 
it's it's basically it's incarceration. I mean, if you're a human trafficked and you, you have to do something uh, against your will uh, for survival, uh, that's what it is. And if there's no path out, a safe path out, then you know, just making it legal doesn't doesn't change anything. Yeah, and I mean, it's the same thing even for if you're engaging in it. It's like, you know, choice isn't always something that we can see immediately. You know, it's not like you have the word, I chose this, tattooed on your forehead. You know, I always say, like, we're selling, we're kind of selling tricks of the dream. You know, we call it a trick for a reason. We're tricking you. We're tricking ourselves. It's a fantasy. We're selling you this idea that we want to be there. And so it's very hard for people to understand that, you know, even though somebody might appear on the outward side as, like, fully agency, full choice, what we have to recognize is that, like, maybe that person's there because they're choosing between prostituting to feed their children or sending their kids back to their abusive ex-husbands. Like, that's not a choice either. We want to make it safer for those people to be able to exit as well, if that's what they want. Alisa, People we, could have the agency, too. Alisa, we are just about out of time, but I want to ask you cool. just real quickly. Um, we had at least two legislators on the show last year during the legislati- legislative session who were proponents of the bill that you dub as extreme, who, who you know, supported legalization or complete decriminalization of prostitution. Um, and when we told them some of the things that had you had said, or, or, or Yasmin, I think, had said at the time, they didn't seem to understand that that might be the case. Do, have you had an opportunity to try to sit down with legislators who are proponents of this and let them know your concerns and let them know what would happen if they had total decriminalization? Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, right around that time, the time the show aired, we had taken a lot of time to meet with people, have conversations, um, you know, really sit down and talk about, like, what are we concerned about? What have we seen happen in other countries that have done this? What have we seen happen in countries that have done the equality model or this partial decriminalization? Um, You know, I I don't talk about it a ton when I'm doing my work, but I am also a survivor, so I, I feel really, really vehemently that decriminalization is not the right option, and I can speak from my experience. But realistically, World Without Exploitation, we have, again, 200-member organizations, and many of them are survivor-led and run, and all of them agree with this style of legislation. Well, I want to just yeah. say also we're sorry that you went through that and, and okay. really glad that you're out uh, trying to make some serious changes that are needed on this, and I hope legislators are listening to you. Yeah, I hope so, too. <laughs> and I'm willing to talk to any of them. <laughs> well, and keep us updated as the session goes along. If uh, Either way, uh, positive or negative, uh, we want to we follow along. There's a lot of stuff happening in our little, uh, our little state right now. And uh, so keep us in the loop. Elisa Bernard, she is the National Campaign Manager for World Without Exploitation. Thanks for being on the Morning Drive today. Thank you so much. It's great being on. All righty, thanks. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to check in with... Uh,